0: I'm Andrea, one of the hosts of the Voice of San Diego podcast. Every week, I get together with the other editors at Voice and explain the news that matters in San Diego. Elections, politics, law enforcement, big investigations, and some fun stuff. The great palm tree debate, ranked choice voting, bike lane mania. It's great journalism and a lot of fun. Every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, that's Voice of San Diego.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 17 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. A quick logistics note. Some technical difficulties delayed the drop of the second portion of my interview with Nick Berardi, head roaster at Moster Coffee. Sorry for anyone seeing my posts about it and then not finding it. It was live on time on RoastWestCoast.com, but Apple and Spotify users got it a little bit late. If I goofed up your listening schedule, my bad but hopefully you're enjoying the overflow of content you got over the last few days. Unfortunately, Nick did not win the World Coffee Roasters Championships, but he and Mostra's Team Berardi represented the U.S. with style and grace in Milan, Italy. I am also traveling, although not quite as far as Italy. This recording is coming to you from Madison, Wisconsin, home of great coffee roasters like Just Coffee Cooperative and the critically acclaimed JBC Coffee Roasters. One of our industry partners, Coffee Cycle Roasting, pretty much exclusively sold JBC coffee prior to beginning their own roasting program, and I'll definitely vouch for the quality of their coffee. Siri Simran Khalsa, the executive director of coffee, is back today to help us get coffee smarter and break down some science for us. I asked her what is happening during the bloom phase of the coffee pour-over, and about the Specialty Coffee Association's standards for water. That's hard to say. Water is the main ingredient in our coffee. But for so many of us who buy fancy coffee beans, and even fancier coffee equipment, we forget to focus on the water. Which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this with Siri today. While you're listening, be sure to follow at Coffee Co. on Instagram to see photos of all of their cafes, and go to LoftyCoffee.com to see all of the roasted coffee that they have on offer. There is a ton of it right now, and especially a lot of single origins. You can find those links in the show notes or subscribe to this show's newsletter on RoastWestCoast.com, which is also where you can be sure to get this show when it drops first every single week. Madison, Wisconsin is my wife's hometown and where I lived during some of my formative years after college. It is also where I used to make espressos and lattes for Sunday brunchers at an excellent restaurant on the Capitol Square called The Old Fashioned on behalf of myself and the other bartenders there in the mid-2000s, I apologize to everyone and anyone who drank one of those espressos. I had no idea what I was doing. However, if you followed it up with a ginger-infused old-fashioned featuring Corbell whiskey, let's call it even. Right now, I need to know, is your coffee cup full? I hope so, because you're going to need the extra brain fuel during this Coffee Smarter episode, featuring coffee expert Siri Simran Khalsa of Lofty Coffee Company.
0: That sounds wonderful.
1: Thank you. I like to, I like when things sound wonderful to you. And I'm glad that you're back here on the show, the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast, which I'm obligated to say 25 times in every episode. I promised you last time that we talked that we would get a little coffee nerdy today. So I'm going to ask you a more sciencey question today. What happens during the bloom during the brewing process? And for uh, anyone listening, my understanding of the bloom is. If I gr- fine grind some coffee to do a pour over, like when the water, the hot water first hits it and it kind of starts to bubble and it kind of crusts over a little bit, that's what I, can, I think is the bloom. But maybe correct me if I'm wrong. And and what is happening in that process?
0: Yeah, so to my understanding and how I would be you know, teaching or training someone in a cafe setting or in a podcast setting about what, what blooming your coffee is. So what well, we can step back into the previous stage before coffee is even brewable and that's being the roasting process. So as we're roasting the coffee, there's going, as the like material, the matter within the coffee starts to expand and change in the, the heat application roasting process, there's a buildup of CO2 in the coffee beans. And from the moment the coffee is roasted to about some people say like 10 to 14 days. Um, some may say even longer on like lighter roasts. Uh, coffee is going to become more porous and it will actually start to degas and release those that, that CO2 buildup. And you that's why some people say you know let your coffee rest or degas before you brew it so that there's a uh, let off of the built up carbon dioxide.
1: And that's there on like some coffee bags, there's like a little vent is that is mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. I always wondered this. Is that because that gas is being released from those beans as they're sitting in the bag? Is that so the bag doesn't explode?
0: Yeah. So actually we, that's funny you ask because at Lofty, there was a, mo, there was a period we had like some faulty bags and that we would, you know, bag freshly roasted coffee and the bags would balloon up. Um, Cause so, be, but they, they were faulty in the sense that they had this one-way valve on it. And so that valve that you see, it, it allows air and gas out, but doesn't allow it in because we can, we, we can talk about that too. But coffee being in contact with oxygen starts to um, oxidize and also in ways can de- degas quicker. And with that, it essentially will lose some of its nuances more quickly. So it allows that CO2 and gas to, to release, but, um, it doesn't allow any air back in. Got it. So that, but that kind of brings me what, what we're doing. So once we've that roasted coffee, maybe it's degassed a little bit, we're going to grind that coffee, you know, to, to brew. as you mentioned, and actually in the grinding process, we also have a lot of like off the gases kind of releasing and oxidizing oxidization happen, happening, happening, Uh, And that this can go, you know, we're creating more surface area and more um, area for that oxygen to come in into contact with. So we're also getting our coffee to degas a lot quicker at that stage. And this is also why you always want to brew your coffee pretty closely after you've ground it. Once you ground it, it's it's going to start interacting with the elements around it, which uh, the longer you have ground coffee just sitting there, the less nuanced, the less aroma it might have because we're letting those gases off really quickly. So now getting to the bloom aspect, to my understanding, bloom is actually a particular way of brewing. You know, you might let's say you just pour water on top of your coffee and you're done. Um, there's going to be a degassing period in that, but I wouldn't call that the bloom and that the bloom is actually a particular thing that you're going to do at the very beginning of your brew. And what we're going to do is pour water just so your coffee grounds are saturated, but not that the water is like flowing through the coffee grounds. So it's just enough. To, you In most recipes, it's about twice as much water to coffee in the bloom. So if we do 20 grams of coffee, you might do 40 grams of water. Once that hot water comes in contact with those grounds, you're gonna start to it what's it's very logical in the sense you see bubbles coming up from your coffee bed, and that is CO2 being released from the coffee. That water speeds up that degassing process. Sorry, I forgot to mention with the bloom, usually you'll pour that water and maybe you'll wait for a period of time. Maybe you'll wait 30 to 45 seconds to allow those gases to release. And some of the reasons we do this is that CO2 let off is going to actually push the water away from the coffee grounds, which is going to not, it's going to not extract the coffee in that moment. So by, um, by letting those gases kind of come out, when we go to f- finally start our pour over or our brew, we've let a lot of those gases out. So now the water is going to be able to interact with the coffee a bit more which is going to allow us to you know, extract all those great flavors and aromas and um, tastes from the coffee.
1: That's so interesting because I just assumed that it was going to be a science thing I wouldn't understand where the water hits the grinds and this chemical is released to create a flavor, but it's actually because... By releasing the when you release that gas, if you just keep pouring the water into it, the gas is actually pushing the water away physically.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: From the grind itself, where the flavor is trying to get, you know, is that we want to get out. Exactly. I feel like I had an aha moment right now. <laughs> That's very cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's all it's all there. It's all very simple, and sometimes uh, you just need those like that simple explanation. It's not too complicated one more thing to mention, and I would, for those of you brewing at home, I think it's always great to experiment because I do know like some YouTubers and other people who are like, you know what, I actually like my coffee better without the bloom, or they find a particular brew method is nicer without the bloom. And so, you know, maybe if you're a go-to pour over V60 method, try, try one brew with a bloom and one brew without a bloom and see what um, differences you see there. For us at Lofty, we've we did a quite a bit of experimentation with, with this in particular. And we always found that we got a bit more nuance and a bit more sweetness and a bit more body from um, the ones that we did a bloom with. So in our recipes, in our, in our cafes, we use a bloom. But uh, one more thing to mention is that typically CO2 may have like a bit of a, a sour flavor to it. So you can perhaps get more sweetness and less of like that kind of sour taste from it. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever, or Ryan, if you've ever made a pour over with coffee, like like 24 hours after the roast or less than like 12 hours, like sometimes in the roasting setting, we're like, we got to taste this coffee. Like we need to, to taste it and see how it is. And so maybe it's only been 10 or 12 hours and we'll make a pour over. And even though you do a bloom, you can still you have that like little like gassy flavor to it and i would probably attribute that to the co2 in the coffee very much a fresh roasted coffee flavor
1: yeah and that kind of leads into the idea that there's kind of a window of time where a coffee will be best represent the best representation of itself you know it's generally yeah. not the first day after roast it's a couple of days you know, Mm -hmm. for a period of about a week and then you're slowly starting to fade away from that. But also important, I think, to remind people that just because a coffee isn't in its peak window doesn't mean it's not good coffee or you shouldn't drink it. It just means it may not be the very most perfect, best representation of itself. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of goes into the other topics we've talked in other episodes, you know, about different instant coffee methods. Or it's like if you have I I mean, mind you, I I have a bag of coffee probably about four months old at this point that's you know definitely not what it was when i first got it but if i need a cup of coffee in the morning and i still can i can still brew it and have a have a cup that's enjoyable
1: well, that I think like anyone. When I really first got into craft coffee, and I was very obnoxious about it, I was like, "Oh, well, this isn't in the window. I'm not drinking this anymore." <laughs> you know, and I would give it to the neighbor or something.
0: Yeah, <laughs> or make cold brew. <laughs> That's what I do. A lot of times, I'll, I'll like all the little bits and ends of coffee bags or people coffee people get. I'll put into one thing, and I'll I'll make cold brew out of it. And you're like, you know what? <laughs> this this works.
1: <laughs> it's part of that. I- it, I'm always I always think it's funny that people who work in coffee are generally less peculiar, particular about the coffee that they're drinking necessarily, because they also can extrapolate. Like, I think that's part of it. Like, I have more of a uh, Ian uh, Nelson used this term uh, recently on the show called uh palate vocabulary,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where if I drink a coffee that's four months old and or four weeks old. And it isn't, you know, perfect or it not great. I can extrapolate a little bit more what it probably was like. And I'm not going to just dismiss that coffee forever because mm-hmm. I had it out of its perfect window or whatever. I totally. can, I can appreciate it and understand based on the timeline that I, the little bit of timeline that I understand, you know, where that coffee might've come from
0: and enjoy yeah. it for
1: what it is today. Yeah. As we're talking about the bloom um, and we're talking about kind of this saturation of water, I wanted to ask you today about the water itself. I've done shows all about water, but I kind of specifically wanted to learn more about what the Specialty Coffee Association, the SCA, says about water. I tried to look at the, you know, they have a PDF about water stuff online, and it was too complicated for me. I glazed over real fast and was really bored. So I'm hoping that you can, like, explain a little bit, Better for me, what they're thinking about coffee, uh, about the water that's going into our coffee and, and why it matters. I mean, I think I'm going to ramble on for just a second, but I think, you know, we all realize that different places in the world have different tasting water where, you know, a city might have a different water source. Where your water's coming from, is it being processed, how it's being processed? I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, our elementary school went to like a water processing plant. Tra- like plant to like see that and the you know it was mostly most kids kind of remember the part where they see like sewage which is kind of gross but also like those are in the same place like we are processing water generally at the same place so what is the SCA saying about the water going to our coffee and does it matter for somebody just at home
0: yeah so I love this question and actually so I um I do some like educational virtual classes and this is a lot of times those, those folks, they don't know anything about brewing. You know, they're either used to instant coffee or just like the auto brewers or whatnot. And so I definitely, this is something I try to bring a lot of attention to because especially in specialty coffee, we bring so, we do so much for that perfect delicious cup of coffee. And in the sense of quality coffee beans, you know, you go to a lot of specialty shops, you know, are selling a $25 to $30 bag of coffee. There is so much being done for that one bag of coffee that if we're not considering the one other ingredient that's going into brewing, we're kind of like not doing that coffee justice, right? Because when we're brewing, and actually at the end of the day, after you've brewed your espresso, your pour over, you know, only about 2%, two 2, percent, two to 3% of that cup of coffee is actually coffee at that point. Uh, the majority of it is actually water. So if you're thinking about also in a culinary sense, like you have all these delicious local organic ingredients and then you just use the like factory farm chicken after, (laughs) you know, like, uh, uh, that's like, you just not put, you're putting a lot of emphasis on all these other ingredients and then kind of forgetting about a very important ingredient. And so it's important that when we brew, we brew with clean filtered water. That's typically where if I'm teaching people brand new, don't know anything, just use clean filtered water and you'll get a decent result. But we could get further into it. And I'd say th- from my understanding, SCA has done a lot of research into knowing the exact mineral content and compounds within water to have the optimal extraction and flavor of coffee.
1: I would I would want to interrupt and just say that, that that concept in and of itself is one that I don't think people... Are always thinking about, and I don't think about when I pour a glass of water. I don't think this is actually filled with a whole bunch of stuff. I go, it's filled with water and it's it's clear, so there's nothing else in it. But that's just not true.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and you made a great point. Or like, depending where you are in the world, you're going to have different contents or different amounts of different contents within that water. And so some of the some of the few things we're looking for according to, you know, the SCA standards is first, of course, a a water that is odor free. So that's a, that's an easy one, right? We can smell the water. We know there's no, it's odor free. Maybe it's clean or fresh smelling. Um, second is like looking at the water, right? Like can we see that it is clear and there's no off colors in that water? And then, uh, I like in a cafe setting, we don't pay attention to this too much, but if we're talking about like SCA standards, they recommend a seven pH, pH of seven of your water. Um, And then there's things like alkalinity and sodium and calcium and chlorine that are, are a lot of times in perhaps tap water. And uh, SCA has very specific standards to how much of each of that is. Like I, I have, I have this written down here for, for us just so I get it right. Um, but they're saying, you know, total chlorine is going to be zero. Um, and then an alkaline, uh, the alkalinity being about, uh, 40 milligrams. And again, that pH being seven and sodium being about 10 milligrams to a liter. We're talking. So that's going to be ideal water. One way in a cafe setting, we kind of maintain that is we use, uh, very high end water filters and Again, speaking to to lofty's standard, we are calibrating and t- testing that filter on a a weekly basis. Um, and we're keeping the water, we measure it through parts per million, and what that does is it measures the the parts per million within the solids within the water. and we're we're aiming for a hundred and twenty to hundred and thirty in our calibration. So we're testing that just using a simple water. Uh, TDS PPM meter, reading that and then adjusting as needed. But, you know, something I'm going to backtrack a little bit because, yes, we want really good water to extract, but what happens to the coffee when it isn't in this range? And I think that's something valid to, to address. And that being, if we have very hard water, so water that has a lot of mineral content, maybe it's a little cloudy looking or perhaps it's tap water from san diego i can speak to our tap water is not it's a a bit harder on the harder end when we go to brew coffee with that uh you can a lot of times especially if that water has like already like perhaps not the cleanest flavor when we we can think of how that would result in the cup of coffee is that it might not have a very clean quality to it that maybe the flavors are a little bit muddled and I've even found that perhaps with really hard water, you're actually going to under extract your coffee because there's already so many solids within the water that when that water starts to try, try to extract solids from the coffee, you know, I almost think of it as like there not being enough room in the water to hold all those solids because it's already taken up by all these minerals. Uh, And so you could have a muddled kind of under extracted or like lacking clarity or like nuance flavors. Um, in a, in a cup of coffee that's brewed with harder water. And on the other hand, if we're using water, that's very um, like soft, they call it soft water. Like if you bre- brewed coffee with just distilled water, you know, I, I find that you, you're going to have a lot more like sharper flavors. Um, and same thing, the way I think about it is just like, if there's only so much water and there's so much room in the water that like there could be kind of more over extracted flavors using a very soft coffee or soft water. Um, as well, uh, in my experience, I've found sometimes you get a little bit of like a metallic flavor from very soft waters. So those are things like if, if you're finding these kind of qualities in your brew, perhaps that's your water quality, but then going back to that, like ideal, water. Um, There's also some really cool uh, products out on the market. Again, if you're wanting to have perfect brewing water. Uh, Ryan, have you ever heard of third wave uh, third wave water? I have not. They're not the only ones out there, but they definitely are very popular. They were the first that I ever saw, but they're essentially just like these little packets of minerals (laughs) that are made to have just the right amount, kind of according to that SCA standard. And you, according to whichever size packet you have, you get a certain amount of distilled water and you just add the, that mineral to the distilled water and that will be an ideal, quote unquote, the perfect water to brew specialty coffee.
1: What it's reminding me of is, and I know I do this all the time, everyone, I am sorry, but I refer to uh, the beer industry because it's just something I knew for so long, but especially larger breweries, think your Budweiser's or your Miller Lights uh, or Miller's uh, Coors, a lot of times they'll bring water in and then essentially run it through a process where they remove all of those minerals out. And then they add them back in, kind of like what you're saying with this yeah. still third wave. Like they can take in local water and they essentially run it through a process, remove everything, and then add the minerals back in that they want. And that's part of the reason they're able to keep their beer consistent, mm-hmm. even though it's being produced all over the country in different places, because their base, uh, their foundation ingredient of water is the same no matter what. And that's kind of what that reminded me of, was just this idea that, they kind of strip away all of those local flares and start with something that they've created, which kind of makes me wonder if there's actually a, an appeal for some coffee people to get coffee in certain regions because of the local, you know, flavor, because they, it is unique. I I do notice sometimes like if I buy a bag of your say morning glory coffee and I have it at your shop, I might love it there and then make it at home and be like, Oh, I should just go to the shop because it's not as good when I make it yeah. myself. And there's a million variables that that could be, but it could be that maybe my water isn't filtered that day or whatever. But is there is there uh, any benefit to say, no, like I'm going to use the local water and this particular coffee is better because I'm doing that? Or is that just me being romantic about it?
0: That's, a, that's an interesting question. I think that goes into like, I definitely... I'll I'll admit, I don't know the answer to that, but it's like, it's a great prompt for like an experiment, like for an experiment (laughs) where I'm wondering, like, perhaps maybe on the roast level, depending on how light or how dark it is, maybe like a certain, I'm almost thinking like maybe a dark roast would maybe do better with like, like a little bit of a harder water or like, you know, I think maybe the roast has something to do with it but I'm not sure. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm going to be marinating. I think. Yeah. I don't know that there is a right answer to it. I mean, it's, but I'm thinking just about like parts of the world that maybe gravitated towards coffee faster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe it was because it their water quality. Maybe it tasted yeah. better when they brewed it. And that uh, seems like there could be, could be a correlation and it could just be me imagining things before I let you go today because I know we're on a bit of a tighter timeline than normal. I wanted to ask you about lofty We're we're in fully into summer uh, or June gloom um, as it's known here. Mm -hmm. What what's kind of new for you guys? What what's what have you been building up to? What's in line for lofty? Anything new and exciting people should know about?
0: Yeah, there's a there's quite a lot. Actually, we have the most epic single origin lineup of coffee right now that i'm initially when when we launched it i was a little nervous because it was the most op like most single origin options we've ever had usually we keep it to like three to four options and right now we have I'm i'm gonna have to remember exactly i think we have seven single origin options which it's the most we've ever had, and again, I was a little nervous initially. Like, you know, how is our how is our customer base going to respond to so many options? And it has been going really well. And I was wondering, you know, seeing you know with more options, are we going to start to like sell less coffee in the sense, like, move through our coffee more slowly? And I will say, I don't, I don't think that's been the case. And it's it's been interesting to see how having those options for a, a wider Set of tastes has done us amazing. It's been amazing. And it's also fun in the cafe setting because there's just so many options. So you can have a different coffee all the time. You know, uh, I can run us through. We have two coffees from Ethiopia and I love doing like one washed and one natural because it's a great way of being like, hey, these are two coffees from the same or similar regions, but they're just processed differently. So you can kind of do like a little tasting with a friend if you wanted um, and kind of see how the processing method affects the flavor. Then we have one of the coffees I'm the most excited about is a coffee from Papua New Guinea which I find that uh, coffee origin to be fascinating. And this coffee is so delightful. It tastes like grilled pineapple and brown sugar. It's just delicious. Um, then we have a coffee from long-time partners. Uh, they're the Chacon, the Chacon family from Costa Rica from a farm called Las Lajas. And we have a natural process coffee from them. And then we have a Delightful, approachable, washed Peruvian coffee. <laughs> um, I, we have a washed Guatemalan from uh, the the apprentice uh, family I was telling you about. The farm is called Finca de Dios. Um, and what else? <laughs> I think well, we have one. It's, it's a
1: <laughs> Yeah, this is why we need to have a like coffee passport or like an untapped but for coffee where. All of these are collated somewhere. Or collated is not the right word, but they're all uh, collected. And uh, we can go and start checking them off. And like,
0: Yeah, I, I, that would be I don't awesome. Use,
1: yeah, I don't use Untapped, uh, which is like a beer rating app to track what you do because I find that I get competitive. And mm. I just want to try more things instead of actually like really – it's more about quantity than quality for me. That's just me. No, nothing against the app. But I feel like with coffee, it would be – that would be a great way to start learning origins and mm-hmm. uh, also start learning like what it is that I'm finding appealing. Like, do I notice that I start rating this origin, like, you know, Ethiopia coffees this way more consistently versus this way, which is hard to track, you know, if you're just when you buy a bag of coffee and you drink a bag a week or you go to a couple yeah. of shops.
0: So. Yeah, definitely. It takes a lot of notation.
1: <laughs> yes. I, I have so many notepads now. <laughs> Siri, thank you so much for coming back and talking coffee with us. I am always so grateful for your time and just your knowledge. And, uh, and, and thank you. That's all. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Like I said, it's always a delightful way to spend my weekend chatting with you about the thing that I love and totally nerding out and coming, you know, you always have amazing questions that i feel like i don't always ask myself and so i always find our conversations to be very (laughs) thought-provoking and keep me on my toes which i'm is is important for me in where i'm at in my journey through coffee so thank you so much
1: well i'm glad i could i could be in service you're welcome Okay, to recap, the bloom is a step in making a coffee pour over in which you wet the grinds and let them steep for a bit while the CO2 that is built up in the coffee beans breaks down. You can actually see the process happening in the form of bubbles which push up to the surface, and I assume is where the term bloom came from. It really was a cool moment to realize that some piece of coffee science that I was intimidated by was simple to explain. The reason to include the bloom step, instead of just pouring the right quantity of water over the correct amount of grinds, is that so while the CO2 is bubbling up, it isn't pushing that water away from the particles of coffee and preventing a consistent and thorough extraction. Pretty cool. CO2 starts naturally releasing from roasted coffee as it ages. That is why coffee bags often have one-way vents on them, allowing air and gas out so that they don't build up inside the bag. Oxidization and degassing also occurs during the grinding process. Each step in making a cup of coffee is filled with tangible science, and as a non-sciencing person, I can still appreciate the physical nature of the process. CO2 actually has a sour flavor associated with it, so if you're making pour overs without the bloom step, and something tastes off, that might be it, though Siri did caution that the bloom isn't a requirement rather a preference that might enhance your coffee-drinking experience. As mentioned at the top, coffee has two ingredients, coffee and water. The water accounts for a majority of that recipe, so maybe we should pay a little more attention to it. The first, and an easy step towards better coffee, is to use filtered water. The Specialty Coffee Association, or SCA, considers a bunch of water variables including odor, look, particulate levels, and pH. They get really intense about it because water is filled with minerals and chemicals like chlorine and sodium. And those levels change depending where you are in the world. At Lofty Coffee, Siri and her team use high-end filters that they calibrate and test every week. I can't say that I'm doing that at home, which may be one reason why the coffee I get at their cafe doesn't taste exactly like the same one I brew at home. When water is too hard or too soft, it can muddle up the flavor of your coffee. Some companies, like Third Wave Water, have come up with workarounds where they use distilled water and then add the perfect mixture of minerals and chemicals back in. All the water stuff sounds kind of overwhelming, but it is okay to take things one step at a time, if at all. I'll probably stop at filtering my water at home for now. And I bet that it's still going to be a damn fine cup of coffee every morning. Thanks to Siri for coming back this week. This is the last Coffee Smarter episode of the season. We're closing Season 5 out with three more interviews, including Lily Kiros, a.k.a. Lil Coffee Geek, a coffee consultant, Jen Byard, the founder and owner of the Communal Coffee Empire in San Diego County, and Mateo Nunes, the founder and head roaster of Thoughts and Process Coffee in Orange, California. Siri will be back in Season 6, along with our other great Coffee Smarter experts, Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting, Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee, and joining us will be Alden Hazuri of Café La Terre and Crossings Coffee Roasting Company. You'll find links to LoftyCoffee.com and the other websites and companies mentioned on this show on RoastWestCoast.com and in this podcast's notes. And as I mentioned at the top, be sure to follow at LoftyCoffeeCo on Instagram. I want to thank my roast industry partners. I've really been enjoying sharing their coffee and whiskey across the country as we travel. Shout out to Zoombar Coffee and Tea. Actually, a double shout out to Zoombar because I forgot to include them in the list in the last episode. Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Ignite Coffee Company, Ascend Roasters, Coffee Cycle Roasting, First Light Whiskey, Morea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Café La Terre. And Zoombar Coffee and Tea one more time. For the rest of the day, I'm headed out to the lake for a coffee and a kayak but I promise I'll only be thinking of you out there and all the exciting stuff I get to share on the next episode. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope that this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. For those of you headed out for a great cup of coffee this week, please always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. Hey there everyone, thank you for listening to Roast West Coast. I obviously want you to subscribe to this show, and you can do so for free at roastwestcoast.com. And you can also choose the paid option which supports the creation of this podcast and newsletter. I'm incredibly grateful for everyone who has chosen that option. You're a huge reason this show is going into a sixth season. But there are bigger things going on in the world. Frankly, there are always bigger things going on than this podcast. But this week in particular, there have been big things. So, if you do decide to sign up for a paid subscription to this podcast and newsletter, I'll send another donation to the National Network of Abortion Funds at abortionfunds.org or you can do so yourself by going to abortionfunds.org anytime. The National Network is actually a collection of more than 80 organizations that work to remove the barriers, some big fucking barriers mind you, that may prevent someone seeking abortion services or other women's reproductive health services. My wife and I donated to the organization earlier this year because we weren't sure where the greatest need for funding was. The National Network of Abortion Funds, which you can donate to at abortionfunds.org, helped solve that problem for us. They connect a diverse community of advocates across the country that are working to help women get the services that they need, not just at the clinic, but even like transportation and a place to stay and childcare and so on and so on. Thank you for subscribing to Roast West Coast at RoastWestCoast.com and for supporting women's reproductive rights, which should just fall under the general banner of rights. But somehow, here we are. I like beer. Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the Podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer The Podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com.